75% of people think real estate agents aren't very trustworthy. The only way to change that perception is to change the reality. If you're looking for a career where integrity matters and you can guide others through tough, high stakes decisions, come join us at Story Real Estate and help drive that 75% down to zero. I'm Chris, the owner and founder. Let's see if we have a career you'll love. Welcome back to Cross Baltic on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Pastor Toby Chalk Knox on the Water Boy. If you guys, we've actually had a couple questions pop up. Uh, we're on YouTube, but we're only dropping about you know five to eight minute clips on YouTube. The way oh, to right. get our full show is you either got to go download the app, the Fight Laugh Feast app, which is actually um, the update's been amazing. Yes. Or, or Rumble. That's basically the two places. Facebook, yeah. we don't release a show on Facebook anymore. No, in, in no, full. No. We do some shorts and stuff on shorts, Facebook. Yeah. But the whole social media world changing and making adjustments. I can't believe I said do that. Do we have a TikTok account? <laughs> yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah. And, and so we're playing with some of the adjustments. Plus, we get uh, suspended every two months on YouTube. So we're just kind of flagged or, something. or flagged or something dumb happened. So we're just kind of playing the game a little bit. So the best way to catch the full show is in the app fight, laugh feast uh, in your app store or on rumble yeah. uh, and everything. So there you go. Wow. How Do about you have that? your notifications off? I'm yeah. just wondering yeah, if you just double check. Probably that. not. Okay. Yeah. The yeah. annual fight, laugh feast conference is coming up. So close. What's, what's the countdown? So close. What we're a, like six weeks. Okay. Due dates uh, are happening for me, and it's a little... Due date. Yeah. He's giving birth to We stuff. are due. Yeah, we are in the <laughs> <Yes>. zone. <laughs> uh, festivities are going to kick off, as usual, with beer and psalms. Mm -hmm. That's on the Wednesday night. Yeah, we found a new location because uh, the previous location they, they deleted us. Well, that's just, uh, it's that, just status quo. That's, that's how yeah. we do things. That's how Satan, we do things. Satan's like attacking specifically the beer yeah. and psalms. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, no having fun yeah. while singing psalms. Yeah. The Fight Life East Conference is a gathering of rowdy Christians from all walks of life from all over the country who want to glorify God, build God-honoring family, businesses, and churches. Right. This is a one-of-a-kind of one of a kind event that transcends tradition. <laughs> this is that one ad that AI wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Blending faith, culture, and a zest for life into a vibrant tapestry of ideas and interactions. <laughs> Can we be more vague? <laughs> um, it, the the uh, theme this year is politics of six-day creation. Yep. We've got Ken Ham speaking, Pastor Doug Wilson yeah. speaking, Gordon Wilson from Riot in the Dance fame. Yep. Uh, we've got Joe Rigney. Yes. We've got Michael Foster. Yes. We've got Ben Merkel. Doggone. I'll be giving a talk. We're going to do a live show at the end. With who? Uh, with Stephen Wolf. Yep. yep. And Joel Webin. Joel Webin and Pastor yep. Doug Wilson That's on right. Christian nationalism where we are going to solve the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. And it's going to become theonomous. Like, in like an hour and a half and everybody's going to become theonomous. And, and don't forget, we don't plug this very much, but we got our, our business Businessmakers pre-conference right. oh, with right. Dave Bonson, that's the right. CEO of Gibson Go, yep. uh, Camden, wow. the CEO of uh, Maddox. Right. I mean, it's right. this is an amazing conference. It's yeah, it's, a, it's I'm here for it. So this is October 11th to the yep. 14th. There is still room to register. Visit fightlifefeast.com today and sign up. Register your whole family. I'm looking forward to um, getting Knox to ride a camel in the petting zoo. <laughs> you should come just for that, right? That's right? great. No. That imagery. No. Someone's got to put a meme together with Knox yeah, on a camel. No. Come on. Come no, that's on. cool. No. It's a couple things I'm going to be doing. <laughs> Riding the camel's one of them and bungee jumping. How about, how much money would we have to get people to put up to get... <laughs> 
<laughs> can we raise some money? How about how about everybody can give their money and we all be surprised when I don't do it? <laughs> no fun. No fun. I'm going to talk to Sharon about this. <laughs> She'd be like, David, get up on that camel. Get up on that camel. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're very grateful to have with us today Mr. Charles Haywood. He's the maximum leader of the Worthy House magazine. That's maximum. The maximum leader. Wow. I, I want to be the maximum leader of something. I'm the maximum of cross politics. No. No, you're not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. not. I'm not. No. I just declared No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the founder of the Applied Political Philosophy of Foundationalism mm. and the founder of the Society for American Civic Renewal. Charles, thanks for joining us on Cross Politic. I'm pleased to be here, though. I will make a slight correction. I'm not, in fact, the founder, though I am involved with the Society for American Civic Renewal. Uh, my, my my role in that is somewhat overstated, and certainly my role as Svengali and sole funder is, is also overstated. It is nonetheless an outstanding and important group, but uh, I, can't claim, I can't claim that I am all responsible or even more than some fraction responsible. Man, already starting off over-promising and under-delivering. <laughs> <Already>. <laughs> well, start, maybe help us out. I'm, yeah. I'm curious, it's, it, um, is this correct, though, that the founder of the Applied Political Philosophy of Foundationalism, what, can, can you um, start off by just giving us a, like, what's a good working definition of foundationalism? What does that mean? Foundationalism, well, the pithy version of it is foundationalism is the politics a future past. That is, it's an attempt to create a set of guideposts or principles that will helpfully uh, enlighten or outline or assist people in the future in a new dispensation of politics, different than the one we have now, informing that polity. What that's meant to do is to distinguish it from an ideology. It is not a self-contained set of precepts that are going to lead us to utopia and that are meant to be scientific loss of history like Marxism or something like that. It's fundamentally a reality-based program that is meant to guide political leaders in creating the future polity, given that our future polity is going downhill rapidly because of the false premises on which it's based, the anti-reality, and for that matter, anti-God premises of which it's based. Those chickens are coming home to roost. The future will be different. So we need to start thinking about what principles will inform our future. Is it now? Is this where the is this where the twelve pillars come in? Yes. Okay. So the those would be the foundational principles that you're arguing uh, need to be used for uh, building, rebuilding uh, a a society that will actually work. That's correct. And obviously, every society is different. The application of different pillars will differ from in different societies based upon whatever the reality on the ground is of that society. Yeah. But some principles are universal. For example, you know, one of the princ principles is sexual realism. The men and women are different. Men and women should be treated, di treated different. And that's going to be universal throughout every human society, though a few of the details may vary depending on cultural or other artifacts. But the fact that that's not going to be radically different because it is what it is. There's no future society that makes any sense where we all pretend that men and women are identical. Does, does um, I'm sorry, can I just- well, there, Go ahead, uh, go ahead, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, 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 I think it was one of the questions um, Knox and I both had, but um, is, so part of my question is like, where did these 12 principles come from? Yeah. And maybe one of the um, sort of, and then sub point to that is, I think it was a little surprising uh, to us that Christianity is point nine, uh, principle nine. Point nine. Um, yeah. when I, I mean, I, th I'm, I, I guess I'm assuming guessing, um, that fundamentally for, for, it, it, um, 
um, for society to work well, it has to be founded on truth. And the truth is um, found in Jesus Christ, God's only son. So there's a sense in which like um, any principles, however, however you outline it would have to be based in Christianity, not Christianity can't just be one of the principles. Do you see what I'm asking? Uh, I see the, I definitely see the question. So to answer your, the, the, the pithy version of your, the answer to your first question, where I came up with these principles is I made them up. I mean, in the sense that I didn't, I didn't go into some cave or, you know, like a second Moses has sent the mountain and return with these 12 principles given to me. But that's actually, I mean, I'm mostly joking in the sense that these principles are obvious. If you think about it, or most of them are obvious, not a hundred percent are obvious. This, that's why it's the politics of future past, a new thing based upon the wisdom of the old. It's a, it's a method of distilling in summary, principles that have worked for successful societies in the past, or more precisely, successful Western societies. I can't claim to really have any insight into what's worked in in other cultures or in you know Sumer in 2000 BC kind of thing. Probably something very similar, but I, I don't have any insight into that. As to the second point, it is true that the the, the twelve pillars are not listed in order of importance. But it is also true that I do not regard the a successful society as necessarily having to be based in Christianity. I mean, it's historically inaccurate for to have a successful society defined as uh, a society that conduces to human flourishing. Certainly maximizing that is going to require Christianity. But I tend to, and you'll probably hate this, view at least part of Christianity as it relates to foundationalism as instrumental. That is, Christianity has informed the most successful society the world has ever seen and has underpinned that society, uh, that is, the spectacular success of the West up until the 20th century or so. And therefore, and Christianity is also true. So therefore, it makes sense for a future society to continue being based on Christianity. But foundationalism is not a creedal uh, exercise. That is, you could entirely imagine foundationalism and its other pillars without Christianity. And while certainly some of those things are linked to, tied with, intertwined with Christianity, some of them basically have no connection to it at all, like space exploration. Uh, I think that space exploration coheres well with Christianity. It honors God and his commands. But you could certainly imagine space exploration with not a single reference to Christianity. I don't think you should have that, but the two things are not necessarily linked. Don't you don't you kind of think that would be important with the God that made the world to follow his objective standards on how the world works? Sure. That's part of foundationalism. Foundationalism is reality is a is the politics of reality as well. And since God created the world and God directed us with respect to the world, when you're paying attention to reality, you're paying attention to God. But that doesn't necessarily you're not paying attention to the revealed aspects of for example, the Trinity or other Christian doctrines that are revelation rather than re- objective, kind of observable, reality-based. So there is a distinction there. You don't have to believe in the Trinity to be a foundationalist, right? But or, if you're building a nation, don't you um, don't you want a nation that swears allegiance to the true God? Yes, I mean, I think the the a successful nation is going to be a successful Western nation is likely to be a Christian nation. But I can't rule out that it, that that is not. You could imagine a counterfactual where that's not true. But, I, foundationalism, Christianity is part of foundationalism, but it, again, it's not a creedal thing. So, is, is the object is the object of foundationalism supposed to be looking at what has worked and worked in Western society? In part, that's a large part of it, but it's also a question of what's worked and what coheres with 
reality. That is the reality of men and women in the world around us. It it seems to me that you're you're taking so we would lean into like a presuppositional approach to this conversation. It seems like you're taking like an anthropological historical approach in in into this foundationalism. I think I think that's an important distinction. I, mm. I, I the used earlier was instrumental. Uh, and I think that that's also an accurate thing. I mean, the the uh, presuppositional is a good way of saying it. I would say it is not presuppositional in the sense that you mean it, or in the sense that I take you to mean it. Okay, so then I guess the question I would have then: How do you begin with the current society that we have? How do you bring foundationalism in? Well, foundationalism isn't going to be voted in. The right. presupposition, not to overuse that word, because this is really a different context, but the the premise is that our current society is hitting the skits. Right. Uh, I think I everybody, you. everybody kind of on our side agrees that it's hitting the skids, though obviously the details are in dispute and what that means and what the future holds is in dispute because as Yogi Berra said, predictions are hard, especially about the future. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't really say that, but it's, uh, it's uh, the if our current society is hitting the skids, and it's probably going to hit the skids in a spectacular fashion. There's many ways of looking at how that might happen. I don't really prefer the term collapse because I don't see us all going back to live in the Bronze Age, but a, a significant societal fracture leading to, frankly, a lot of suffering. I mean, I don't advocate that everyone suffer, but that's probably where we're heading because of the, the hubris of mankind is almost certainly going to lead to nemesis or viewed another way, God's punishment. And we're going to have to rebuild the society from whatever point it's reached. So to the extent that, that foundationalism becomes relevant, it's meant to be inform that kind of future society, not to inform what people are going to vote for at the ballot box this November. Mm -hmm. And then, so what is, and, and maybe, maybe this is what Knox is getting at, but so we're not like bringing foundationalism to bear so much as it is to inform our actions. Um, what are some of those, um, what, I mean, central actions that you um, are advocating for right now, maybe shortly before we hit the skids, before the collapse, before whatever is about to come comes. Um, what should people who care about their future, about their children, their grandchildren, um, what are you advocating that they do now? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I, th I think the the well, aside from the obvious, I mean, in, the, in this present company, the obvious is making sure that you're cor correct in your in your ways before God, but both you and your family. But leaving that aside on a more instrumental basis, everybody should be resilient. Everyone should work for resilience. And by resilience, I mean having skills, resources, whatever it may be that allow you and most importantly, your family to not suffer if there is some societal fracture whether that's the government becoming you know, even more tyrannical, whether that's the food running out in the grocery stores, whether it's Kim Jong-un dropping nukes on us, whatever the future may hold, some uh, some actual pandemic. It, what people don't have nowadays is resiliency. I mean, some people do, but most people, as they say, you know, live in the pod, eat the bugs, watch the porn, watch the Netflix. That's the opposite of resiliency. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to go and homestead. Though certainly having your garden, a garden, even a, a rooftop garden or a, a balcony garden, whatever. And then you also have uh, spiritual resiliency, not in the sense of worship, but in the sense of 
most people nowadays, especially young people, at least by reputation, and certainly some of the ones that I know, though fortunately not my children, are fragile. Yeah. Fragile is the opposite of resiliency. People are emotionally fragile. They're psychologically fragile. They're intellectually fragile. It, it, and there's an easy cure for that. And the cure for that is getting off the internet, reading significant and important works that people have written in the past 2,000 years, and making yourself... Uh, it, resilient to whatever may come in the future and prepared rather than the kind of person who falls apart the the least kind of struggle or inconvenience or hardship that he has to bear thank you that's helpful okay so i found out uh charles i didn't really know too much about foundationalism until i saw some of the tweets between josh vice talking about you and foundationalism and um our guy um Nate, Nate Fisher. Nate Fisher. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that he brought up was that foundationalism, or at least to be a part of um, this group, is like a secret society. What's And it seems like this is kind of weird because I'm waiting for guys. We have a lot of ideas right now because everybody sees the collapse of our American society. Yeah. Christian That's, nationalism. It, it, we see it. And, but it's yeah. really, really problematic to me that we can't seem to figure out how to talk to each other like this to understand what we're talking about, what we mean. Um, because our communication devices aren't always the best at helping us understand each other. So I'm grateful for this conversation. But what? But when he's talking about it, it seems like we have a secret society and what you're building. Is that true? And and why do you guys have symbols? <laughs> and then like you got to get invited to come in. Is there a special you guys, handshake? Are you guys Masons? What's going on here? I mean, Sacker, the Society for American Civic Union, only has a couple of chapters, and uh, its purpose is stated explicitly on on its website, which is to form a, a local groups of of Christian men in order to build community and network locally. I mean, it has nothing to do with foundationalism whatsoever. I mean, foundationalism is not the creed of Sacker. Sacker is basically completely unconnected with 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 my other work. It is true that I'm that I'm a a part, a small part of of Sacker, but Sacker is not some kind of extension of Haywood, nor would I I expect that the, the, of the relatively small number of people who are who are members of Sacker, most of them probably they might have heard of of me or foundationalism, uh-huh. but I'm sure they don't they don't lie awake thinking about it. There's certainly no secret handshake, and probably a lot of them would disagree with aspects of it. For example, a lot of them would probably uh, emphasize more a, a covenantal Christian type uh, uh, society as important for the future. A lot of people Ralph all over my idea of of space exploration and space conquest as important for the future. Well, a lot of people think that's just insane and stupid. So yeah, the, the really, I hate to break it to everybody and Josh, whatever his name is. I, I never heard of any of these people before they started attacking me on Twitter, like literally never heard of any of them. But <laughs> but I, I think they think they're all very important, but I'm not evangelical. So I don't, I, or I'm not in that, that sphere, like this G3 ministries I, I literally never heard of. Anyway, uh, I mean, there is no secret society uh, to that is <laughs> it's just kind of silly. <laughs> like, leader. like they don't seem to understand that the term maximum leader is a joke. Yeah, is, yeah, I got uh, it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, some guy, one of I used to work in a law firm, one of the junior associates when I was a senior associate used to call me maximum leader as kind of a kind of I mean uh, he was working for me and we got along well but it was kind of meant to be ironic like you know yeah, you're yeah. and I'm some slave uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but so the, I, I think these people don't I don't know whether they take it too seriously or they see things that aren't there um but I hate to break them there's no secret society that's heavily armed that's with a secret handshake that's you know, leading an esoteric life underneath its you know, bogus <laughs> website 
it is just what it is. I mean, I think it's important for, for local groups of Christian men to form. I think uh, having groups of men in particular is crucial for the future. The single sex spaces are incredibly important, but there is no grand plan. There is no like wonderful army of these based Christian men ready to pop out of the woodwork or anything. I wish there were at some level, yeah. but you know, and here I was getting all excited. Yeah. I, I know, I know Knox has a follow-up question here, but I, I, you just mentioned that you aren't evangelical. What, what, yeah, I was going to ask what, that too. What are you? Okay. Yeah. I'm Eastern Orthodox. So I was raised Roman Catholic. Very oh. I went to a Dutch reformed elementary school. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very up on reformed, or I used to be very up on reformed theology. And actually I attended a Presbyterian church with my family for some time. And then uh, six, five, six years ago, we became Eastern Orthodox. We attended Greek Orthodox church, but of course the religion is Eastern Orthodox, not Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, just to be fair to my guys at G3, I think when they, they see something, uh, uh, essay, what's it, sorry? Soccer, 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 soccer. Um, I think what they're looking at and they're like, why do we need these groups of men gathering when we have the church already in place? And that is the way that God moves on earth is through his church. So what's the point of having all these groups just gather around as if that's the center of the the the, the way that God does things here in, in the world when we know it's through the church? Well, it's not exclusively through the church. Obviously, the the church is the main and of course you can debate about what the church is in this context no doubt we would have a debate love that we'd love that debate (laughs) (laughs) and aside god doesn't exclusively move through the church that's obvious i mean god moves through governments god moves through uh all sorts of things and so from a strictly instrumental perspective not to again overuse that term a one of the things that has been lost in our society is single sex spaces and groups particularly for men, but also for women. And that's certainly not in any way, shape, or form counterpoised to the church. You could imagine a group that is counterpoised to the the church, you know, a group of all-male Satanists (laughs) or something like that. But that doesn't mean that groups that are, are exclusive in one way or another are somehow opposed to the church. Okay, I want to get to, because one of the things that he brought up in his tweet to you was that it seems like uh, this is a movement that is encouraging or promoting some form of violence, right? And this is what he's referencing in the 12 points. I think it's the path at the end. It says achieving foundationalism will be inevitable, uh, will inevitably occur in part by passing through chaos and violence through the chaos. There will be steps forward and steps backwards. But if our leaders are bold men informed by foundationalism, more steps will be made forward than backwards. If foundationalism is a true system based in reality, it will succeed in its goal. That 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 strikes people as a little scary. Well, uh, I would say to to say that that's scary in the sense of calling for violence is you know, truly beyond obtuse. Mm. In the sense that the you know, all societal fractures involve chaos. And all you have to do is look back at the 20th century to see that. My grandfather was born in 1902 in the Austro-Hungarian Empire and died in 1999 in Indiana. And let me assure you that he saw a lot of fractures, chaos, and violence in his life. So to, to say that the future holds chaos and violence is is only to make a prediction to very similar to 
the sun will rise in the east tomorrow because mm-hmm. unless the second coming arrives before tomorrow, uh, you know, that's going to happen in the same way the future is going to hold chaos and violence because the idea, I mean, all around us currently there's chaos and violence. I mean, look at Ukraine, for example. Who would have predicted war in Europe in 2023 and not like trivial war, but actual war? Right. So this, uh, this obtuse, I mean, that is a bad faith claim by, what's this guy's name again? Josh Bice. Yeah, whatever. Pastor Bice. That is a bad faith claim and, and all of these people's claims, as far as I can tell, are bad faith claims, because either you have to be completely ignorant to make that claim, or you're trying to miscast an obvious statement of fact as somehow a call for violence, which it obviously isn't. So then you're saying basically on the worldview that we currently have now, when you when you deny this is probably not th- I'm going to put some words in your mouth and you can totally take them out if you want. Because <laughs> I'm put an evangelical in. Vietnamic Christian. I'm going to just say it the way I think. Uh, you should be, uh, <laughs> which is because of the way the worldview is the, that's ruling right now. And Christians haven't been really responsible in discipling the nations. We have a particular worldview that is going to bring in violence. And when that violence happens, we're going to actually have to be prepared with the, the, the foundational beliefs and trust and, and, um, uh, in the, in the word of God to be able to have something for that society to collapse on top of so that we can be rebuild it again. Is that a very fair reading? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Next time you should put it in here. I'm just, you know, I don't even charge you for something like that. I think like he that. did. I think that's uh, what he's arguing. He's I, think, like, yeah, I, I just want more. I basically said that. You know, I want more. Yeah. I want more allegiance just, to Christ in this. Say, say I mean, it again. I, 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 I'm continuously astounded at how ignorant people are of history sometimes. Not, uh, not this, but you know, people read these things and they're like, well, you know, it, uh, it, uh, history began in 1960, and the most violence we've had is like you know in Selma, Alabama, when you know some yeah. civil rights protesters got beat up. But ever, ever, other than that, like way back in the Bible, there was some violence, but everything else has been great. I mean, this is just objectively false. I mean, uh, so why, the idea that people shouldn't anticipate a future where violence may affect them and their families, yeah, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, when COVID happened, I did buy more ammo. I'm just going to tell we, you right we, now. And we got we got body armor. Yeah, I did. <laughs> did. I, I did suit up a little um, bit. So I, I want to ask you a couple questions, uh, at least one question here about um, this, uh, this is under the sixth pillar. Um, you, you, you say, that, I'm just going to read the, the sentence that, that sort of stuck out at me, and then I'm not going to read the context, but you can obviously provide the context. Differences among people will not of themselves be encouraged, rewarded, or valued. Um, this is probably, you know, me marinating in, um, you know, modern, um, multiculturalism, but like, what, I mean, is that even possible? I mean, how, how are differences among people, um, not, um, rewarded or valued or even encouraged? What, what's the sixth pillar? Uh, yes, it's under the six intermediary institutions. Um, what? I have to go look at exactly the context, but you know, I think what I'm getting at there is identity politics. The idea that yeah. simply because you're different from other people, that somehow you should be treated differently or given special privileges or rights or something is silly. That is, people should only be be given privileges, rights, identified as different to the extent those differences are actually relevant to their position in society. But other than that, People shouldn't be atomized into into different kinds of groups based upon whatever non-essential differences they may have from each other. Got it. So, yeah, in that context, you you are talking about churches, businesses, schools. So, obviously, there would be various and sundry differences that emerge in terms of um, you know the the clubs you're part of, the sports you play, and um, you know whatever family heritage. I mean, all kinds of things um, could be um, found in that. But you're just saying 
um, you're you're saying let's not create superficial and arbitrary um, distinctions and differences and celebrate those as is done in identity politics. You know, everybody yeah. over here with blonde hair, everybody over here with dark hair, yeah. whatever. I have to go look at the context I said in to make sure I wasn't making some some other related point. But certainly, I endorse that that analysis. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So one of the reading through this. By the way, I just gotta say thank you for this conversation. I'm enjoying this thoroughly. Yeah. I don't know if you are, but I really don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, he's still smiling. He's still, yeah, he's still smiling. Um, so. Charles, help me with this. You said this would be foundationalism would bring in a whole new different type of society than we have now, which I think you're spelling it out fairly well and clear for people who are who are reading this. But one of the things that I think is going to shock people, and I actually agree with you on this. I just I wonder. Let me ask the question first. You say that there would be people who would be publicly flogged. Now, I don't know anybody else who is making that statement. Who would be these people that you would want to have publicly flogged? Generally speaking, we have a, I used to be a lawyer, so we have entirely too many crimes that are what's called malum prohibitive. So it used to be the crimes were divided into malum in se, that is criminal of themselves or bad of themselves, and malum prohibitive, only bad, not because they're immoral, but because the government says so. So if the government says that you have to mow your lawn and you don't mow your lawn, that's malum prohibitive. There's nothing but rape and murder, for example, are, are malum in se. So we have a vastly too great number of malum prohibitum crimes. Most of those should just disappear for all practical purposes. And certainly uh, one of the pillars is subsidiarity. To the extent they exist, they should be done, for example, on the local level rather than the federal level. Right. So the amount of crime should be much less. But generally speaking, we should have much more capital punishment and much less in the way of, of jail terms because jail terms are stupid and ineffective. Amen. So that's where the flogging comes in. And this, again, people used to do this all the time. This used to be the norm in human history. And it's still done in places like Singapore because it works. Right. And we got away from it because of, uh, of silly kind of emotive idea ways that imprisoning people for 20 years is better than offering them the choice of getting flogged. Wow. I, mean, you should, I mean, I suppose you could imagine a, a scenario in which people are given the choice. Like you can have this corporal punishment or this jail sentence. <laughs> Maybe you give them the choice. I don't know. Mm. But- I'll no, be like, no, me. No, me. you don't get the choice. You don't get the choice. Well, maybe not. Whatever. I just thought about that right now. Okay. <laughs> don't do that again. Don't do that again. <laughs> there should be a lot more capital punishment. I mean, there just should be. Yeah. And that's the way it goes. I mean, and, and you know, I was talking to my priest about this the other day, and, and he was he said, well, last year, and he, he was like, well, the Orthodox Church is some, somewhat frowns on capital punishment in the modern context. And that may be. It's not like the Catholic Church, which has kind of you know gone completely down the drain on this on this topic. But the fact is, the capital punishment is an effective deterrent, serves the interests of justice, and this idea that somehow it's never too late for repentance, and so therefore you shouldn't execute people. Frankly, I think that a lot more people would be right before God if they knew they were going to be That's executed. Right. That's right. I agree with you, but who's getting flogged? Oh, oh, but like what specific crimes? Yeah, yeah. Give me anything, anything that's not subject to capital punishment. So, so like, you didn't cut your grass, you get flogged? No, that's, no, that's no, a no, prohibitive. Prohib prohibitive. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Is that but, uh, uh, Burglary. Burglary, you get flogged. Right? That's it. Adultery? Adultery? Death penalty. Um, Potentially. I, that's actually an excellent question. So, for example, I don't think, I think a society where people behave because the laws mandated and no other reason is a failed society. Adultery is usually best handled like the way it used to be, which is social stigma. And that's actually just as important as legal punishments and probably much more important because 
it's very difficult for the state to administer a regime uh, of punishing adultery because proof is very difficult. There's a whole bunch of problems there. But if you have stigma for things like adultery and divorce, which was very common up until the 1970s, forget I remember reading a while ago that up until the 1970s or 1980s, there was a a, a ball, like a fancy dress ball in Philadelphia, I think, where all the cream of society went. And if you were divorced for any reason whatsoever, you were not allowed to attend. The wow. end, no exceptions, you know, that's it. Wow. And so so that's the kind of thing you should have rather than the government getting up in your cheese. You, your your family and friends and your, the society as a whole should stigmatize you and, and in essence drive you out of the society if you commit adultery rather than the government flogging you. One of the um, punishments, so so uh, the Bible kind of gives a, a minimum and maximum penalty, you know, kind of case law penalties. Um, one of the punishments uh, potentially for adultery is the death penalty. Um, mm-hmm. Would you have a problem with the Bible's kind of, um, you know, case law approach to um, adultery? Uh, I'm not a Protestant. I don't, I don't regard the individuals reading the Bible and applying it in the governmental context as a, as a particularly useful exercise. So uh, would I be opposed to adultery for the death penalty? Because the Bible gives it well, as, how a, do you, as a, go ahead. I don't know that, that um, maybe not in extreme cases. Um, I'd have to get back to you on that. Uh, it, it strikes me as a prudential judgment, not a question of what the Bible says. Gravity Jack is a full-service digital agency specializing in the development of virtual and augmented reality experiences, mobile apps, blockchain, and Web3 projects. Founded in 2009 as the first American agency to offer augmented reality, they even patented it. Gravity Jack's digital experiences have been a source of innovation for small businesses, Fortune 500 companies, and the U.S. military. So get your vision in motion today at gravityjack.com. That's gravityjack.com. Com. So this is still inside of the punishment side. I'm, this is kind of piggybacking on Gabe's question. So let's say um, I'm into public flogging, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we noticed. Yes, I've, I've always noticed. been a supporter of it. I, yeah, I want, I, I, yeah, I don't like to- I'm dubious about public flogging because it historically it tends to people tends to encourage uh, a sense of um, cruelty and cavalierness. So I'm, I'm not sure that public flogging would be something I would encourage on a regular basis, but- uh, uh, We'd have to get back to. Sorry oh, to interrupt. No, no, no. That's fine. I was just because I guess that this answers some of my question because I was going to ask, how would you know when to stop? What is your limit of that punishment if you were going to publicly flog someone? Well, like people used to know these things, right? Because there was flogging on, you know, as a regular thing up well into the 20th century. So like if you gave me a, a whip and or a cane or whatever one uses in flogging and said, go flog someone, I would have no idea what that meant. You would have to rediscover the knowledge. Maybe there's some people in Singapore who can help you out. Because obviously, <laughs> mutilation is bad. You don't want to mutilate people. You don't want to cause disfigurement uh, and so on. So, it, I mean, I, 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 this kind of contradicts what I said earlier about the Bible, but I, I would strongly disapprove of mutilation, mutilation punishments, like Islamic, like cut off the hand kind of stuff. Uh, but how exactly you would go about corporal punishment of whatever kind, which isn't limited to flogging. It could be the stocks, which is a contempt-based punishment more than anything else. There's many other, and that kind of flows over into stigma. But I think there should be a strong bias to the punishments that were used successfully up until the very recent past, as opposed to the kind of therapeutic slash put them out of sight in prison uh, approach that we have now. 
Yep. You know that Bible actually has some good wisdom on flogging. Yeah. Like when to stop, how many stripes a person should get, all that stuff. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. I didn't hear you. Sorry, Charles. Yeah, we have a place to start. <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah, we can work with that. that, that that's that's probably that's where that's probably where, where the we should w- start Western and finish. So, you know, um, so I'm I'm curious. Um, I may, maybe this is in, I don't know. In, in I don't know what the, it says. Worthy House Magazine. Um, you're you're involved with. Um, you're you know founder of this philosophy, and then you know have some involvement again in the Society for American Civic Renewal. But I'm 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 curious. Like what? So um, is it? Is this your day job? I mean, what, what do you what do you do? And what, what keeps you busy? Right. So uh, the Worthy House is just my website, theworthyhouse.com. Okay. I mean, I call it a magazine, but just, it's just me it, with like 600 different pieces. I originally started writing book reviews, but they're long book reviews and they're not really book reviews. They're but my thoughts masquerading as book reviews. <laughs> so I used to be a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. Then for 15 years, I ran a shampoo making business and I sold that. So there was a big beef on Twitter. Again, I don't mean, I don't like Twitter. I, I think Twitter is spiritually corrosive. I stay off Twitter for Lent and usually on Sundays, <laughs> Wednesdays and Fridays, and or at least I've been dishonoring that that lately, unfortunately. Um, but the, the I had this big beef on Twitter and then some guy at The Guardian who's an Antifa asset wrote an article attacking me. And apparently now I'm a shampoo billionaire. So... <laughs> Glad that I'm, I, apparently if I'm a billionaire now, I have a large slug of money coming my way. So I've been waiting by the mailbox for the to, to reach that magical billion figure. But I, I do have a fair bit of money, but unfortunately, I'm not a billionaire. So my day job is uh, I have a bunch of children. And uh, my day job, honestly, other than the Worthy House, is hobby farming. Yeah. I have chickens, I have a bunch of bees, I have some land under cultivation. I go out there and I, I try to not be on Twitter and I don't have it on my phone. So I can't, I can't, uh, yeah. I can't read it on the farm. I was going to say your hair looked really good. Like, like really fresh. <laughs> no dandruff. Yeah, no dandruff. <laughs> no dandruff. That's super dandruff, fresh dandruff hair. shampoo is, is regulated as a drug. So that's actually a somewhat different category. I did mostly uh, hair care and hair styling. Okay. So and beauty products, things like that. That's interesting. You just brought up drugs. So then what would, how would drugs look inside of um, foundational society? What would, what would be Marijuana there? Marijuana Would it be legal? No, not legal? Crack. It, in general, drugs, I mean, drugs are a classic example of something that has to be controlled primarily by stigma with a generous helping of capital punishment uh, and flogging. So, it, 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 but a society where people take drugs without social stigma is always going to face a drug problem. Whereas if you, 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 face enormous social pressure not to take drugs, then the society just isn't going to use drugs in any any significant amount. So uh, you, it's a, with drugs, it's always going to be a multifaceted approach. Uh, but I, I think with drugs, as with a lot of other things, the, the key is stigma supplemented by by legal punishments. If you have to have a an armed state that's always up in people's cheese, it, 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 Passing laws that that and enforcing laws that are the people won't obey on their own. It's just never going to be successful in the long run. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I got one more question, oh. and, and, um, and maybe this kind of gets to the heart of like I really, I'm, I'm I think this last you know year or two kind of well actually since 2020 the discussion around social justice and God's law, um, you know the discussion around Christian nationalism, the discussion around foundationalism. I think these are super important discussions. This is something yeah. the church hasn't really discussed in the 40 years of my Christ, life, except for Christians, Christians have been asleep at the wheel. Yeah. They've been asleep at the wheel. So I, I'm, I'm super excited about these kind of conversations. 
But the, the, the thing that kind of gets me hung up in these various pockets of these different discussions is, is really, I think it boils down to me for presuppositional um, view that God created the world, which means we should base um, our societies around God's re- word um, in, in, in this created world. We, like we, so we've already kind of gone through a couple examples with the flogging thing. We we see that the the Bible gives a principle of thirty nine lashes or forty line forty lashes minus one, so you don't go over and beat them too far. I mean, like there's, um, you know, for adultery, the one of the punishments, one of the potential punishments on the table, depending on the nature of the adultery, is capital punishment. Yeah, we have those answers. Um, we have those answers in the scriptures, and so I mean, I like a lot of your pillars, but I keep coming back to like, well, where hath God said on the path where has God said on this pillar, you know, so the, the, it, it seems like some of these answers where you might take a little longer to articulate and answer, I would go back to say, well, actually God's word says it right here. Um, this is what we should do in this situation. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, Charles? I don't fully agree, but I do think that regardless of our level of agreement on that, most of the pillars of foundationalism do not have that level of specificity directed by God in the Bible. For example, you can make arguments that God instructs us to have dominion over the earth, and so that may relate to things like space exploration, but there's not the degree of specificity of lashing people as it relates to space exploration. Uh, So I think that you could, a foundationalist state, if if there is such a thing in the future, could adopt a biblical approach to a lot of things with specificity. I'm not necessarily in favor of that, but could do that, but would still have to fill in an awful lot of gap areas simply with the the other reality-based pillars of foundationalism because there's no direction from God on those topics. Um, like? He's like saying like space like travel. space? Well, I but mean, you can only do I space mean, travel because I, of God. I was going to say <laughs> dominion. I, I yeah. would, God I, doesn't say like how, how you should power your space engines. Right. Well, I'm not telling you how why you should make your streets, but okay, I get you. <laughs> I don't think, but I don't, I don't think I would need foundationalism to tell me that, though. Well, you would the space space says I say it's the first pillar of foundationalism. So the so you would have to determine for yourself without the input of God whether space exploration is important to your society. And I claim that it is. People could differ on that, yeah, but yeah, foundationalism goes. But God doesn't answer that question. God does not rule out space exploration, nor does he rule it in. Okay. That's going to be another conversation for yeah, another I time. I think we just opened up a whole other <laughs> Yeah, thing. I think so. And I, I like you it. You done did it, Charles. You know hey, Charles. Well, you done did it. Charles, I got to ask you a question. Last question before we let you go. Hey, no, I said that. No. I, 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 I said you're, that. you're not the maximum leader. <laughs> um, so I got to ask you, if you were to get an invite from G3 or from Josh to come on their show and talk to them about this, would you go? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, what am I? I mean, I, I, I guess they'd have to be polite. Oh, they are. They are. Then, like, there are some people on Twitter who aren't polite. You know, they would just you know some combination of stupid, obtuse, and malicious. If they could keep the malice down, that'd be okay. Or yeah. maybe that's fair reading on my part. But you know, they, enough of being obtuse long enough starts to look like malice. So, yeah. but I, I, I would do it. I, I hope that happens. I hope they invite you. I would love to see the dialogue between yeah, yeah. you guys. You know, yeah. you know, I think Charles would enjoy talking to Rod Martin. Oh uh, yeah, it was the space our, exploration. Our, our friend Rod Martin he gave a talk one time about planting churches on Mars. Yeah, and okay. uh, so he, he's he's down with that. Yeah, uh, Charles, where can people um, find these twelve pillars at? 
theworthyhouse.com. And I have a, a piece on foundationalism linked on there. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much. This is not, this is not what I wanted. I want the this. Not what I want. All right, thank you for joining us, Charles. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics. It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger.